Hi, Harrison. Thanks for joining me, friend. Thank you, my friend. It's nice to be with you. Yes, I've been looking forward to this very much. And uh, just to put this conversation in context for those that are listening, uh, Harrison or Kaishan is my Dharma brother, and we took Bodhisattva vows together in 2018. And uh, he's also the person that inspired me to do meta practice, which has become so much of what seems to be my life's work is practicing that and sharing that with the world. So I have a lot to thank Harrison for and want to learn more about him today by having this conversation. So um, thank you for thank you for speaking with me. Um, oh, yeah. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. And uh, you inspire me too. I, I uh, really enjoy seeing how you manifest love in the world as the love pilgrim. And it's <laughs> you, you got like this really creative way of doing it. Um, and, you know, uh, and some um, sort of uh, similarities to our friend, our uh, inspiration, uh, Peace Pilgrim. Uh, I live on a boat that I named Peace Pilgrim mm, and mm, uh, uh, because I, you know, I'm really inspired by uh, her life and her message. And um, I'm inspired by people uh, like you that are, um, you know, kind of adopt that um, pilgrim lifestyle. And mm -hmm. uh, it's um, and, and so I like, uh, seeing you do that it's inspirational and then seeing how you also have these other creative ways of manifesting love in the world and um so it's very cool and mm. inspiring to me mm, very kind of you friend it's a beautiful thing about the path as we get to be inspired and we get to inspire and it's a beautiful feedback loop so yeah uh, so to begin i would love to hear from you about the question that I ask everyone, which is just to share your life story and background. And you can share that at whatever length or in whatever way you like. And we'd just love to hear about, you know, your history and who you are and and what your life has been like. Sure. Um, well, uh, I was born a small child at a very young age. And uh <laughs> That's a little joke that <laughs> uh, it's not mine. It's a friend of mine, uh, but I, I like it. I still find it amusing. Um, but uh, and I uh, I wasn't very uh, productive at a young age. Um, I was an infant, so uh, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't drive or work. Uh, I um, was not what you would call a productive member of society. <laughs> I I was uh you could say an unproductive member of society. Um <laughs> uh, you know I uh didn't contribute to the economy or the GDP really. <laughs> I uh the only thing I really produced you could say was uh uh dirty diapers and maybe a little drool. Uh but also uh some uh smiles and uh love. Uh, I was a cute, cute baby. Um, so I had that going for me. <laughs> and uh, um, I got older and uh, 
I remember. And so the way that I was thinking about answering this question is, is kind of maybe through this filter of, you know, Dharma and Metta. And so I was thinking about sort of highlights in my life uh, in relation to, to those uh, qualities and aspects. And so I thought that maybe I would share that I uh, remember um, being impressed by, uh, you know, I, my my parents uh, uh, were religious. They went to church. Um, my dad was uh, Catholic. My mom was Episcopalian. And we ended up going to an Episcopalian church every Sunday. And so um, I remember learning about uh you know, Jesus. And I was really impressed um, by his message of love. And uh, I would say that that contributed to my uh, valuing that, that quality um, and, and hearing about how, you know, you should love your enemies. And I thought, wow, that's you know, Jesus is really on to something here. That that is <laughs> uh, uh, the gold standard, and you know, I aspired to to do that, and I sort of felt in deep in my heart. How important that is, how desperately needed that is in the world, and how I should do my best to align my life uh, along those lines and with that value of love. And so, uh, so that was, uh, I think, important in my formative years. And then uh, another thing too, I feel like is that was important was that my, well, I loved both my parents and my parents, I felt loved by them. Uh, but my dad had uh, a temper that I was afraid of. And uh, I remember, I, I have a sense that maybe I was around like six years old and uh, um, him and and sort of thinking at at one point like gosh i really don't want to be like that like not that i didn't want to be like my dad in his entirety cuz he had a lot of lovely qualities he had a great sense of humor and uh could be very warm and kind and i believe like his you know his his politics and things were coming from a place of of caring and i i think he was he was deep down it was it was he was anxious and, and this anxiety would uh, manifest in, in uh, his temper. Uh, so I have, you know, understanding and forgiveness uh, towards him. But at a young age, I was just like, Whoa, this anger thing is like, I don't like it. And I, I, I don't want to, uh, 
be like that in the world. I, I don't want to make other people feel bad uh, uh, that, that this, that the way this anger makes me feel. And so what's interesting is that actually when, um, when I was in school, um, so I, you know, I think that might've had some uh, uh, influence on how I developed and, you know, um, tried to be kind and, um, you know, I like humor and things of that nature. And who knows how much of that is just kind of natural. Uh, and, but uh, also some nurture in there as well, maybe an element of that. And so, um, and then there was a period of time in school when I was, um, uh, I was getting into a lot of fights actually. So in spite of um, those influences on my life uh, early on um, with regard to love, uh, I was almost expelled from, um, uh, let's see, middle school, is it called? Fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Uh, I was going to a school and rooftop and uh i was getting into a bunch of fights because i sort of like well there's a lot of you know uh in schools and with kids you know there's sometimes kids can be cruel and uh and i was sometimes there was cruelty directed towards me and sometimes i was cruel to other kids and you know sometimes you're just kind of learning you've you've you're learning how to conduct yourself in the world and experimenting with a lot of different behaviors and attitudes and and i remember um one time my dad i i came home from school and i said i i got in a fight and my dad said uh good or, or he was he was trying to teach me kind of how to defend myself i think a lot of parents do that when they hear that their kids are being bullied and there were times when i was getting bullied teased and stuff and uh you know sometimes parents will say oh well you need to fight back you need to stand up for yourself and so i really took that to heart and i was getting into all these fights and then um but then i was i was almost expelled and my parents were one of the schools that they were considering uh uh, transferring me to was uh, a school down the street called town school. It was a private school. The kids wore like ties and jackets. And when we took the, the public uh, bus, the 24 Divisadero, this, the kids from rooftop, uh, we would pass by town school. We would stop there. And the kids from town school would, some of them would get on the bus as well. And we'd make fun of them. Uh, and I, they were, they were kind of, you know, in their private school suits and uh, uniforms. They, they just looked kind of square and uh, like nerds. And, you know, and so we would make fun of them. And so when I learned that I was, might get sent to that school, I was like, uh-oh, I better get my act together, straighten up and fly right. 
or I'm going to be one of the kids that all the all my friends are are making fun of. So uh, there was that element, and also just kind of a realization that oh, okay, well, yeah, this this isn't working. And so uh, I think after that point, I mean, I really became a lot more peaceful uh, and kind, and and I kind of learned my lesson that 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 this is not okay to get in fights. And um, so that lesson was learned probably in f fifth or sixth grade, uh, right in there and uh, uh, kind of resolve that problem. Um, and then, but uh, that anecdote sort of touches on, on another sort of step in my, uh, life, um, progress along this path, which is that, uh, it, that I was very, uh, insecure. I, I cared what people thought about me and I wanted to be cool. I didn't want to be a square. I didn't want to be a nerd. And so, uh, actually in like starting around fifth or sixth grade and, and, and certainly into, uh, uh, 7th, 8th, 9th, you know, high school, like I, I wanted to be cool. And so uh, I started to take an interest in um, alcohol and drugs. You know, I was like, I thought, oh, this, that that would make me cool and not square. And, and, um, you know, maybe there were some other aspects to my that choice, but I think that was a lot of it. Now, I, I would also say that maybe there was also sort of uh, this element of, of like, life is hard, you know, it's stressful. Um, and so there was a aspect of, you know, self-medicating and escapism and uh, that was part of that as well and so i um uh i started to drink and use and it became a big problem in my life i mean uh in uh the first well i was i was starting to like try to get high in uh, at least seventh grade sixth grade um but i never really you know the the weed that we were getting it was like horrible and uh, not very potent and so it wasn't until like uh i was a freshman in high school that i got high for the first time and and then it was like daily use of marijuana and drinking on the weekends and sometimes during the week and there was a lot of conflict in my family about that it was really stressful for my parents of course my parents you know, drank and, uh, my father had a, I would say, uh, drinking problem. Um, uh, my mother was, I would say dependent on, you know, having some wine at the end of the night. I didn't, I don't, I think she sort of drinks. A lot of people would consider it sort of normal, uh, maybe a glass and a half of wine a night. Um, but she was also taking, she suffered from depression and she was taking medication for depression. My dad was, you know, self-medicating 
with alcohol and uh you know um even though i wouldn't maybe use the word alcoholic uh, i would say he was a problem drinker and so anyway that uh was an influence i think and 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 also just culturally i think you know in in our culture you just the advertising all over the place it's just like oh you know, it's Miller time. Uh, it's time to party or, you know, it's a wedding uh, or you're on vacation or you're going out to dinner or you're having fun with friends or it's a birthday or uh, or life is hard. You see it in the movies. Oh, someone's having a hard time. They take a shot of something. So there's a lot in our culture that romanticizes, uh, you know, um, certainly alcohol and also now, uh, you know, uh, cannabis and a lot of other things. And, and so, you know, growing up in growing up in the uh, 80s too, cocaine was kind of a popular drug in some circles, certainly in the circles I was running with. And so, you know, um, experimented with a lot of stuff, but uh, alcohol, cannabis and cocaine were like, really prominent um in my uh uh life and uh as i say it became a, a huge problem uh i mean i was able to function reasonably well somewhat well maybe maybe that's a better way to put it <laughs> uh <laughs> uh I was not firing on all cylinders and there was a lot of uh, shame around that. I, I, and, and I knew I had a problem and I would sort of struggle with this, like on the wagon, off the wagon, sober, then going back. Uh, and, um, you know, through high school, through college, uh, uh, and, after college and in my twenties, it was really bad. And then at the age of 30, uh, kind of had a a one of a series of wake-up calls there was a lot of them along the road but uh my girlfriend at the time uh uh jen who's still a dear friend but uh she said at the age of 30 she was like okay you've either got to quit or uh i'm leaving you and so uh, I got sober that time for about a year. And that's when I started meditating. I was just like, okay, I need something. I, I I'm, I, what do you do? Life is so hard. It's so stressful, you know? And, and after a long day at work, five, 5 PM, I've been working like a dog. And then what do you do with yourself? I'm stressed. I'm tired. What do you do for fun? I couldn't imagine. What do you do for fun? If you don't drink or use when you go on vacation or you go to a party or you, how's it possible to, to have fun without alcohol and drugs. So I, um, but I'd heard uh, earlier in college that uh, I had a roommate who practiced uh, transcendental meditation and he said, he, he spoke really highly of it. And I thought, Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to try that. And, um, and sure enough, it, it, uh, it worked to, to some extent. It was it was relaxing, um, and I felt more peaceful after just like the first time of doing it. And I, 
um, did that for about 11 years and it was, it was helpful, uh, as a, as a relaxation technique. And I was kind of up and down, uh, you know, on the wagon, off the wagon for that, during that, those 11 years. And then, um, at the age of 41, um, I had another sort of uh, breakthrough, I guess, which is, is that I, uh, after, you know, one, you know, sort of bender, uh, I was just, my level of desperation increased and I was just like, okay, what am I going to do? I mean, I'm either going to have to go in rehab or I'm going to have to, you know, really devote myself to Alcoholics Anonymous, which I'd experimented with it was helpful it's a good program but it, i just didn't feel like it was right for me and so then i thought okay you know what i think i'm going to take one last stab at this and i'm going to really devote myself to meditation so i increased you know in transcendental meditation you do 20 minutes a day twice a day and so i said well i'm going to do um you know an hour and a half i think is what i said that's my that's my 12 step program. And so, and then I, and I went to a, a song I'd never been to before called the Olive Branch song. It doesn't um, exist anymore, but uh, Shoshin and Kaishin um, ran that sangha. And, um, and, and when I went there um, and I kind of shared why I was there, um, uh, Kaishin uh, kindly shared a CD of, of Shinzen Young's called Where the Path Leads. And he talks a lot about how, uh, about addiction and how, you know, this, the, the problem really isn't that you're physiologically addicted to these um, substances. It's that you're, you're self-medicating. It's the suffering that's the root cause of this that's driving the addiction. And so at least uh, for, for many, I, I mean, there may be some physical uh, addiction, you know, to alcohol or, you know, certain substances. Um, but for me, for many, and for me, that, that wasn't the case so much as it was the, the root cause was, was the, uh, was the, the suffering and, and trying to use these substances to alleviate that. So that had a big impact on me. And I started studying, um, with Shinzen Young, I started to do retreats, um, and, you know, of like a week or two weeks and, um, and, and, and I adopted a new form of meditation, uh, the, what he's calling now unified mindfulness, which, which really took my practice to a way different level. I mean, because transcendental meditation, nothing against it. It's, it's, it's okay, but it's sort of a one trick pony in my view. Uh, it's, it's a good relaxation technique and certainly you can develop a certain, qualities of concentration and and equanimity uh, through that practice but it didn't have all the tools in the toolbox that um shinzen system did and um and and actually and then you could say and buddhism too that that sort of that uh what i consider sort of like the um operator's manual for the mind and the heart and the emotions and the body it's so complex all those systems 
and and so uh the this unified mindfulness system was so rich and had so many um options that are you know and what i find is that different techniques are helpful in different situations and at different times and so having that at my disposal really was uh took my life to a different level i mean it really saved my ass and i i feel like um and and even though i was still struggling with the substance abuse uh for a little while after that i got sober at the age of 44 and i really credit you know uh, sort of um this vipassana insight meditation and and the brahma viharas uh uh and and you could say unified mindfulness maybe um as the the probably the most important element of my recovery and i would say that it was probably because um i it made me mindful of sort of uh how terrible i felt when i was um uh drinking and using and and you know they in aa they talk about how um the the river of denial and how uh like there's the nile and then there's denial and and how you're in denial a lot uh, and i was in denial a lot like i i i would have fun partying and then when I felt shitty afterwards, hung over or shame or remorse, terrible physically, mentally, like I would uh, try to avoid looking at that, try to escape it. And often that was through drinking and using more. And so uh, finally that, that, that just, I realized it, it just didn't work anymore. And I think, just being able to see that more clearly uh, was the most important element of my of my recovery. Um, there's lots of variables, so it's hard to say. Some of it might have been just natural maturation, and it was as I got older, it was harder and harder on the body. But I still credit, you know, unified mindfulness with kind of being the most important element of my recovery. So anyway, that was a huge game changer because once I got sober, then I could really live life to the fullest. I could fire on all cylinders. Shortly after that, I heard about Soryu uh, For All. Um, uh, I, I met him at a, at a Shinzen Young retreat and, I, and then Shinzen mentioned that he was doing this mind and music program teaching uh, meditation to youth through music. And I thought that was just a brilliant idea. I got really excited. I said, this is what I want to devote my life to. I wish I'd known, you know, meditation, mindfulness, compassion practices. When I was younger, maybe I could have avoided all the trouble that I went through. It certainly, I don't know if I could have, there might've been some, you know, wild aspect in my you know, karma or my mind that wanted to, that just had to go through that. But I think it really could have helped. And who knows, maybe I could have avoided that altogether, all that addiction problems altogether. So, um, so then I started getting interested in teaching mindfulness to youth um, through music. And, and actually I took a 
bunch of trainings from other uh, systems on how to teach mindfulness to youth, mindfulness-based stress reduction, all kinds of things, just to see how, how are people doing it? How do you teach mindfulness to youth? Because I could... I could, I I knew that you you couldn't do it exactly how you do it with an adult. Um, you you got to change it up and be creative and and adapt uh, to you know what's age appropriate. So um, anyway, I got interested in that and uh, and then really um, that's been a big focus of my life since then. Um, is is learning how to do that and training how to do that so developing my own personal practice to be able to do that better deepening that practice through training it you know as you, together with you uh and others at maple at oak um monastic academy for the preservation of life on earth and and training with um soryu and shinzen and and george haas and many other teachers and um and then and learning how to uh, do this uh, uh, with with youth in the in the schools, and so uh, I got somewhere along the line. I was got my master's in clinical psychology to kind of help with that effort of being in the schools and lend some credibility, maybe to this movement to uh, teach mindfulness in the schools, compassion in the schools, meditation in the schools, um, and. Uh, uh, and then, um, and then a few years ago, I started to work, uh, locally with a group, um, that, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Radley Weininger and, um, kind of, she has a wide network of people and she brought a bunch of people together who were interested in teaching, mindfulness in the schools and we started the kind mind program uh and my partner business partner colleague in that um vivian valentine has been you know like hugely um important in that effort she's really been you know maybe sacrificed uh, more than anyone else in terms of um keeping that program going and doing the dirty work of administration and executive director functions that um uh uh no no one else has been willing to do to that to that extent so uh anyway um we've been we started about you know f- we're going into our fifth year so may of 2018 is really really when that program started just as a pilot in um, some high schools and then went into the junior highs a little bit uh, but we've been um mostly we've had a greater footprint in the uh the uh schools uh the uh, k through six and so we started at one school um that was uh mostly well 99 percent latinx population and then from there the next year we we found ourselves in another school um a uh, bit of a different dem- demographic uh but you know, kind of uh, uh, Caucasian and, and Latinx mix, and then um, uh, then we uh, expanded in that second school, and um, this year things are a little bit different because uh, the one school that we were at 
the Latinx school that we started in, uh, they were, um, well, they got a new principal. And so uh, she's not quite sold on uh, mindfulness for her school yet. She's still new there and kind of probably trying to figure things out. And um, so we're not in that school this year. Um, and maybe we'll get into some more of that later. Uh, but that kind of brings us to the present moment, except I'll maybe just say, like, practicing loving kindness. I was doing that this morning. I was feeling a little bit nervous about this interview because, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to record it and we're going to share it with other people. And so I was like feeling a little self-conscious. And so I uh, practiced some loving kindness towards myself this morning. It really helped me, you know, like uh, feel more accepting of myself, less self-conscious. Uh, less worried. Um, and then, of course, you had some very kind words to say to me uh, over the text. So that brings us to the present moment. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing your story. It's it's really lovely to hear. And I've heard pieces of that before, of course, but, um, you know, from knowing you for so many years, but it's really lovely to hear it all together and also to share that with the world. And I'm really struck as well by how many of the elements you talked about uh, have analogs in my own life. And, you know, we've talked about that as well, but I feel like there's such a kinship there of like the um, sort of puzzle pieces that fit together to make, you know, I think this practice and loving kindness in particular in the Brahma Vihara is so compelling and, um, you know, Shinzen system. I mean, you know, he was such a big role in my own path and stuff as well. So um, yeah. So I have a few questions about that. Like first I'd be curious to hear, what it was about Alcoholics Anonymous that felt like it, it didn't quite work for you or wasn't quite the right fit for you personally? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I don't know if I can articulate it. Uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, it maybe, maybe because it, it it, there were some groups that did meditation. Um, you, there, there were like a couple in town that did meditation. And so I would go to those and they would like, um, they'd meditate for, I don't know, five minutes or so. It was like pretty short. Um, and so I think maybe there was a part of me that just deep down it, I didn't, know it at the time but like that that somehow meditation and and uh and the the uh vipassana meditation and the and the brahma viharas uh there it didn't have that kind of sort of um that psychoeducational uh, aspect of of understanding my own mind and uh, it, certainly it it can lead to a lot of insights and 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 understanding your mind and and your behaviors for some people, but but it was missing the the Buddhist element, you could say. Uh, and and so um 
I think that might have had something to do with it. Is it that without really knowing what I was missing, I, I was just still looking for, you know, what what, what I thought was was going to help me, and and um, and so. Uh, you know, that, that was part of it, I think. And I, who knows, maybe there was some resistance to just like calling myself an alcoholic and going to the meetings. Uh, I mean, I don't mind going to meditation meetings, but I, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to articulate. That's the best mm -hmm. I can really do. Yeah, I seem to remember you saying something to the effect of, and this is from both from my memory and, yeah. you know, you'll have to see what you think now, but uh, something about how you didn't really resonate with continuing to describe yourself as an al alcoholic or an addict that for you, it's like, no, I am sober and I have sort of solved that problem and worked that out. And I'm not like still an alcoholic or not still an addict. Uh, am, am I recalling that correctly or would you qualify that in any way? Yeah, you are recalling that correctly. And thanks for reminding me of that, because I do think there was some element of that. And actually, when I um, I, I consider myself sober since Father's Day of 2010. Now, um, uh, for about seven years after that, I would actually I, I would occasionally every few weeks have a little bit to drink after that, like um half a beer or half a glass of wine with food and over a long period of time so that that I wasn't intoxicated or inebriated and when I uh and so and, and then actually if I ever sort of felt the slightest little buzz like I would immediately stop and there was just like a handful of occasions where I even got that far uh, and, and then, and I, and I found actually, I didn't like it anymore. It was like, um, not only was I mindful of all the downsides and why I didn't want to drink and just like, Oh, I'm, I'm not going to be able to sleep. And then I, I'm going to feel terrible in the morning. And, and so I started to associate drinking with all of those negative effects. But then also too, I found that uh, actually even the, things that I used to think were positive or enjoyable, like that buzz, uh, didn't, I didn't like that anymore. It was like, I really enjoyed the, the clarity, uh, of mind and body. Uh, and I didn't want to do anything to mess that up. Uh, but I would, I would occasionally, uh, drink a little something, um, just sort of for a gastronomic experience, like the sensual pleasure of just how it, tasted when paired with food and stuff like that and then eventually uh when we took our our when we took our lay vows you know where you um uh say that you're you know you vow to um uh refrain from taking intoxicants which cloud the mind and lead to heedlessness and so that's really where i stopped drinking entirely uh and um so 
yeah, I did. I didn't know what to do with that really, because it's like in Alcoholics Anonymous, my understanding is like, once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic and you're always in danger of falling off the wagon. And who knows? I mean, maybe I, I, I remember one guy in the program, he had been sober for 18 years and he got a back injury. The doctor prescribed some pain meds. And so he started taking the pen meds and then he, he started drinking again and it went down hill very fast to the point where within I got the impression within a few weeks or so he was like in passing out in, in the gutter in a, in a public park or whatever. So who knows that that kind of thing could happen. But I guess I just the way I feel now, it's just like I, I don't feel that that that's in danger of I, that that that's going to happen for me. Um, and I sort of do feel like I'm cured, I guess, to some extent, maybe that's delusion. Maybe we'll feel, find that out <laughs> some point in the future. If I get a back injury and the pain is horrible, I, I don't know, but, uh, anyway, yeah, that, that is true that, that, that I, I had a hard time sort of feeling like I fit in exactly. And, and since that point in time, I've read some articles like in the, I remember there was an article in the LA times about how, you know, the path to recovery is different for so many people. And sometimes I feel like the, the AA model sort of sees it kind of more black and white. And, and this article in the LA times talked about how, you know, there's people who have drinking problems and then they recover from them and, uh, and, and they, um, they still drink and they drink normally or, you know, and we can talk about, we can consider whether, you know, normal drinking quote unquote is still sort of a, a dependence on a intoxicant to deal with suffering. Uh, but um, uh, in any event, yeah, I, I, that did have, that did play a part in that, in, in that, uh, decision not to go down the, the AA path, path mm -hmm. for, for myself. And as I say, I have a lot of respect for that program. Um, actually, I have one friend who he was my sponsor for a little while in that program. And now he's, uh, we're, we're friends now. Uh, we didn't see each other for a long time. We're friends now. He drinks a little bit every once in a while. Um, and it seems to be, for the most part, super under control i remember one time he he shared with me okay there was i think i had three drinks last night and i felt bad about that i don't want to do that again but that was so i i don't know that 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 article in the la times suggested that there's a, a broad spectrum of how people um uh recover from alcohol and substance abuse and so um it's not quite as black and white as some people are quote unquote alcoholic. Some people aren't. Um, and maybe Alcoholics Anonymous recognizes that. And, and so I'm not an alcoholic or I, I yeah, I don't know, but mm. yeah. And when you started doing what's now called unified mindfulness, what were the actual techniques you were practicing at the time? Yeah, it, it was. And at the time that was called basic mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Um, the name's been changed, but like I, the ones that I really gravitated to first were 
like I would. Um, so at the end of the day, I just felt like I needed a reward for making it through the day, a hard day of work. It's 5 p.m. And now I'm going to I I, I want to do something that's going to bring me happiness and joy. And um, so I would go to some place in nature. It would be a, a park, the beach, someplace like that. I would sit down and I would do some. Um, usually, I think I would do some focus on breath. So just to relax, um, but also like see, uh, see out, just enjoy the beauty of nature. That was enjoyable for me. That was a reward, uh, a substitute for uh, alcohol and cannabis, you know, and 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 hear out, enjoy the beautiful sounds of nature, and 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 then feel out and feel rest, feeling feeling this relaxation in the body or the sensations of the body as I would go for a walk on the beach. Um, so those were, those were like a lot of the practices that I was doing initially. Um, I don't even know how much I was practicing the Brahma Viharas, um, uh, Metta practice, uh, initially, uh, I don't think that much, uh, and you know, Shinzen, it's part of his system, but he doesn't really emphasize it as much as, um, uh, maybe the vipassana uh uh elements of his practice and so um so anyway that was those were the main techniques and then also uh i found feel in to be really helpful feel flow like i remember um sometimes if i was in a, a you know a conflict with someone um i remember one time getting in a uh conflict with with sorry when we were working together and uh and going to a park bench and like and and just feeling flow feeling the the uh, flow of strong emotions in my body um uh, and um uh and as as shinzen put it like a massage so it's paradoxically it could actually be pleasant if you sort of didn't focus on the rumination of oh that jerk he said this that pissed me off he's wrong about that or whatever just like feeling the uh, sensations in the body of strong emotions uh like lava coming up into the inner part of the chest from the belly and you know in the hands and in the arms and legs feet you know, face. Uh, and, and so that sometimes was a helpful technique. And there's other times when like, I'd feel shame if I made a mistake and I just feel the shame arising in my body. And that could be really like liberating, really fun and interesting paradoxically. Cause it was just like a massage of energy in my body. If I just focused on those sensations. So those were the main ones that I was doing. And then uh, I started to practice the Brahma Vihara as a, a more uh, prominently in my practice uh, a bit later. Hmm. Hmm. I want to ask you about that, of course, but um, I'm curious to ask first. Uh, you mentioned that 
you know, when you first started trying to get sober that you couldn't even imagine what you could do that was fun if you weren't drinking or using. And I wonder what you would tell your past self about how you understand fun now and what fun is and how to have fun without drinking or using. Oh yeah. Great question. So, you know, I guess I'd say I'm just imagining myself like talking to myself at that age, you know, I'm getting emotional because it's so painful for so long. You know, that was, I tell people that that was the hardest problem I ever dealt with in my life. Me being at my mom's deathbed was hard. My dad's death was hard. My relationship with my brother is complicated, but that was because it just lasted for so long. Decades so painful and uh so i would say that first of all i just i love you and i care about you and i, I know I, I know life is hard life is hard and uh, it's it's hard to imagine not being able to drink, smoke, use. Uh, and I can just tell you, having been through what I've been through and been there for so long is that give it a chance. It's, it's, it's way better than you imagine. It's, it's going to be hard at first. Yes, of course, because it's, it's going to take some time to get used to this new way of life, this new way of thinking. Uh, But don't, but also be, be mindful of like the, the problems, the downsides of it. You know, we tend to romanticize the, the good parts of it and then deny and stuff and push away and repress and suppress the downside of it. And, uh, so, uh, so take a look at that and, uh, and, and give sobriety a chance. And, and, and I'll often tell other people who are struggling with this problem. And I tell myself too, that like find, ha have fun as much as possible in sober ways. So, you know, maybe it's listening to music. Or maybe it's going into nature. Maybe it's doing 
a meditation technique here or there or be with friends uh go to comedy do whatever because you need to persuade yourself that you are uh that that life is worth living and life is fun and rewarding and fulfilling without alcohol without drugs and uh so and and uh, and give it a chance and 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 if you can and anything you can do to there and also i'll say that these these temptations that we have sometimes you know they they don't last forever and i think that was one of the hard things for me and maybe maybe uh one of the helpful things about vipassana meditation is like focusing on gone focusing on uh that that the impermanence of of phenomena whereas when i was drinking and using it was like if i felt terrible i just it, at that moment it feels like it's going to last forever like i didn't have a very good ability to to like uh, just be with that difficulty with that difficult emotion and and ride it out till you get to the other side where it goes away it's fades and you're 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 at peace again you're happy again you're relaxed again whatever it is and so i would say yeah if there's any whatever you can do to uh to get through those tough times and that's why i mean aa has some really good you know suggestions like you can call someone up if you can call someone up and they can be sort of this person that you can rely on to to just get you through that that tough moment or period of time whatever it is maybe it's uh, a few minutes or a few hours or a day uh that if you can get through that um it this this difficulty will end and you will and then when you wake up in the morning I, i'll i'd say that too notice that like you get up in the morning and you're not hung over no no headache no blah no low energy feeling terrible in the body or negative thoughts about oh shit i did this to myself again i can't believe it oh i feel so terrible i feel ashamed i feel remorse why did i do that damn it i feel terrible now and uh how am i gonna feel better and often it'd be like oh just okay make it to happy hour and then at happy hour hair of the dog go to your favorite bar have some drinks you'll feel better no it's just a terrible vicious cycle so uh notice how good you feel in the morning when you wake up full of energy full of vim and vigor bright-eyed and bushy tail you know just clear mind clear body healthy body no problems well you know none of the problems that you have with with uh abusing these substances may have other issues of course but uh, at least those pernicious problems that you deal with when you're struggling with alcohol or drug abuses 
you don't have those to deal with on top of everything else. Mm. Mm, thank you for sharing that, Harrison. It's really beautiful to hear and um, sort of on the one hand, feeling into what it might mean for your past self to hear those words and how much courage that might have given him if he'd heard from you. And I uh, would hope that those words might touch someone who needs them now and in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for saying that. That is one thing that inspires me to teach mindfulness, meditation, Brahma Viharas to kids and adults is, you know, that uh, maybe people who are at risk of these, this, this particular issue uh, can avoid it or overcome it um, through these practices and in, in the way that I did and hopefully offer them some hope and mm -hmm. And the and the tools to to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a great kindness. Mm. Do you remember what it was like for you to start practicing loving kindness and the Brahma Viharas and sort of what that brought what brought that about for you? Yes. Now, um, can. Can I mute myself and blow my nose? I, I got oh, a little course. bit teary-eyed. And so uh, just one of more. Of course, friend. <laughs> okay, thanks. Okay, so uh, can you ask that question again? Of course. Um, I'm curious about when you started practicing loving kindness and the Brahma Viharas and what brought that about. Yeah, uh, so one way to look at that is that, uh, you know, I started practicing the Brahma Viharas before I really knew what Brahma Viharas was. And, um, you know, uh, in part from uh, the, let's say, just uh, naturally loving people. And then also through, you know, learning about uh, uh, Jesus's message of love and, and, uh, you know, the example my parents set, you know, uh, I mean, there's a lot of influential people in my life and they're maybe the most influential just by virtue of the huge role that they played in my upbringing. And they valued the role of love and forgiveness and, you know, and, and, and they subscribe to those values, uh, going to church, um, bringing me to church, encouraging me, uh, to, I got, uh, confirmed uh as a teen and so uh we would pray at night and you know uh and and i think that their lives and uh were 
directed, uh, you know, uh, through that prism of, 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 uh, Christ's message and, um, love. So, um, and then, you know, the, all the other incredible examples of loving people in the world. And, you know, then you start to learn about, uh, other, you know, modern day saints, you know, who, who love, uh, you know, Desmond Tutu and, uh, Later on, Peace Pilgrim and, you know, the Buddha and, uh, and um, so, uh, so there's those kinds of sort of informal ways of learning about the Brahma Viharas. And then, um, and then formally through this meditation practice and kind of, uh, well, at, at some point, and I think it was around sort of uh, the end of my end of high school, I sort of stopped being interested in organized religion. I was kind of like, uh, I, you know, I was partying and, and, you know, it was like, I don't know, I was agnostic. Uh, and and then um, when I started to study with Shinzen Young, I started to really get into Buddhism and uh, had a, a, let's say, a renewed appreciation for the spiritual practices uh and uh and then um and so i started to learn how to practice loving kindness meditation i think uh at at a shinzen young retreat and um and so i did that uh, uh to some extent and then um uh and and I found that yeah even a little bit could go a long way too. Uh, that sometimes it just had a nice. It was, I was happy that the unified mindfulness system had so many options, and so there were times when you know some kind of a vipassana technique just wouldn't this wouldn't work, and then like a metta loving kindness practice would just suddenly just hit the spot <laughs> sometimes just even a little bit would just go a long way <laughs> um but i uh, started to learn how i could uh do that uh more and um so then um so that was you could say a kind of a, a leap forward in my practice of of uh, brahma viharas and um then uh, uh, when I started to I'm trying to think, um, well, I think when I started studying with, with George Haas too, it took another leap forward, um, because he, you know, he emphasizes it more. He has this great, you know, program, uh, where, 
you know, five days a week from 7.30 to about 7.55 or 8. Uh, you know, you can practice daily with him. And um, he alternates between, you know, like one day of Vipassana practice and one day of, of loving kindness practice of some sort, Brahma-Vihara practice. Um, and uh, I'm saying that right, uh, correctly, right? Brahma-Viharas is the... Mm -hmm. The, the mm -hmm. four uh, loving kindness mm -hmm. uh, techniques. So he he goes through all of those different ones, um, kind of cycles through them. And um, so I could see how you could you could emphasize those a lot more. And uh, and then uh, he went on. Uh, he took some of his students to Burma. Uh, to Myanmar to see uh, to do a loving kindness um, retreat and do a little spiritual tur tourism before and after the retreat and uh, and so uh, that was the first retreat I went to in um, Myanmar where it was like where for that first retreat retreat I think it was two weeks uh, it, it was like one hundred percent. Uh, meta. Uh, that was the only technique you would practice In, unless you were like super emotionally dysregulated where you had to do something else. But I don't, I never really got to that point. So for 24 seven, for two weeks, just doing a, a loving kindness meditation. And I was really surprised that you could like do an entire retreat just devoted to that one technique. Cause uh, previously, you know, Shinzen's, you know, there's pros and cons to everything. And as Shinzen will say, and so his retreats, you do some loving kindness meditation, you do some other stuff. And that was all really fun, really helpful. I mean, I'm so grateful for Shinzen's methodology of, of teaching meditation. It's hugely influential in my life. Uh, and, you know, you could maybe say, still the my go-to you know uh way of practicing um because i i have all these different options that i do at various times but uh but then studying with george haas and um and and then also with say uh indica in uh, myanmar and 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 then also he had two nuns helping well actually one was a nun one was a disrobe but uh uh there was um uh What's her name? Oh, Venerable Viranyani and Aria. Uh, and so um, uh, I um, saw how you could really like go way deeper into this, this practice of loving kindness. Um, and then um, the next year I went back and I like did a temporary ordination where I was a monk for a, <laughs> a month which was fun and also a little bit weird because then um like uh viranyani and aria would like have to bow to me because because mm. in myanmar uh it's like the monks are a little bit at a considered because they're men um they're higher on the totem pole and so that that felt a little bit, that was definitely weird for me. Cause I, I bow to them. Um, you know, 
they're my teachers and I have so much respect for them. Um, and, uh, but, uh, anyway, that, uh, doing it for a month, doing love and kindness for a month, solid, uh, really just like was life changing too. just like, wow, you can, um, you can do this as, as just this technique for a month. And, um, so, uh, that my, my practice of love and kindness took another leap forward, you know, in those retreats. And, um, so I try to keep a healthy dose of, of loving kindness, um, going, uh, these days and, um, try not to neglect that uh, aspect of my practice. And of course, you know, you, you inspire me, my friend. I mean, the way that you, so beautiful, how you manifest loving kindness in this very unique, creative way, you know, uh, we trained together and you, you did some hardcore training at, you know, uh, Oak and Maple. And then now you're sort of this, uh, itinerant wandering quasi monk out there. Uh, and, and, you know, you have these like videos and these interviews and, uh, um, how you comport yourself and your dedication to this practice, just like still wear your sash and you like, uh, and how you manifest love and kindness, um, how de devoted you are to it, uh, through different artistic pursuits. And, um, it's like super cool. So, so mm -hmm. you inspire me. And then, of course, you know, there's a, the examples of Jesus and Buddha. And um, uh, so I kind of forget uh, what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> you answered several of them. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for your kind words as well. I think um, one of the things that's really struck me as I've begun sort of sharing this technique with the world is how much if somebody if it really lights a fire in someone's life like yeah. you know it, it, i think it impacts people without fail if they try the technique like in the moment but some people just like you know it explodes in them and um when that happens it really seems to manifest in a way that's particular to their personality and yeah. they they bring forth i mean you know meta of course is unconditional love for all beings and um you know it's it's this pure form of love and everyone that practices it learns to taste that but at the same time there's something very particular about each person and the way they bring that forth and the way they practice it and the way they manifest it in their life and i've i've really come to like appreciate that and and watch for it and notice it and really and learn from it like oh i didn't know you could practice love in that way like there are so many ways to love and i learned from each person and that practices it, it's like oh you can love that way too wow there's you know that flavor of love and that expression of love and um you know certainly uh how to put this i mean i i really learned that from you and that's why i took it up was seeing your example and was such a i mean i literally started practicing metta because of you and the way you manifested it and that's that's in me and then you know it it doesn't surprise me that um 
you know, it would take a certain form with my personality and that, that it would each person we we would sort of learn from and be inspired by. And and I watch for that. I, I feel like such a student of it still because there's so much to learn of the many ways you can express love and feel love and, and share that in the world. And um, it's, it's sort of um, humbling and delightful to be like, there's just so many, so many ways to love. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's wonderful. It's like amazing. I, and I want to mention too, I didn't, I don't know if I mentioned George Haas, but he's been mm -hmm. hugely influential yes. and, and uh, say it out. Ooh, Indica. And, um, and then of course, like peace pilgrim and, yes. um, you know, and Soryu and, and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there's so many different people and, and even, you know, people who aren't Buddhist or have no, spiritual affiliation um with any uh tradition per se as you say it's just like you start to see how uh people manifest this quality of love in so many different ways and it's it's mm. it's beautiful and it's fun and it's mm. interesting and it's inspiring to see mm. just how what a incredible kaleidoscope of mm. different ways there are to to express it and to practice it mm. Mm, i love that image i wonder um was there anything that the time that you're practicing with sayada uindika and you're in myanmar and uh burma and was there anything that was sort of like an instruction that you were given or a way that the teaching was shared that uh was uh surprising for you or was particularly helpful or uh anything like that um let's see let's see surprising you know over there in burma they're kind of they they are uh kind of traditional right so they've got their phrases and then um, and, you know, may you be well, happy and peaceful, or may you be peaceful or things like that. And, you know, they, they were kind of a little bit, they weren't, you know, like if you started to get real creative with your phrases <laughs> and use different, uh, and, and wander too far off of those examples, it was like, they kind of were more traditional you know and mm. they were like well you know uh they they might not uh a little bit creativity was okay but like they might not uh, uh be super they they might not suggest like uh diverging too radically um in your phraseology of those loving kindness uh techniques um and uh and 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 so when i'm you know practicing with them and training with them i do it their way and then i think when i uh but i have a little bit more flexibility and creativity with the phrases that i use Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes I, I love those traditional phrases and I use them a lot. And there's other times when I have my own phrases that, um, are a little bit diverge from the traditional ones that I also find are really helpful. Um, and, uh, 
So I I like I I like customizing phrases. Uh, something that really resonates with people, I think, is a good thing. Uh, and so for some person, you know, maybe there's a certain phrase that just carries a lot of juice for them uh, and resonates with them. And so I don't want to dissuade them from um, uh, using a phrase like that. Um, let's see. Uh, what was the question again? Because uh, it was a rich question. There's like a lot of thoughts I had about it. Well, I'm just curious about your time of with Sayadaw Uintika in, in yeah. Myanmar and what uh, the practice was like there, sort of from a talking shop perspective of like yeah. how to how to practice metta and the Brahmi Viharas, anything from that yeah. time that you think might be useful to share? I mean, they were, you know, uh, so the way they did it was like, you would start with um, yourself, which, uh, over there is considered like the easiest person to start with. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, it's not always the easiest for everybody. Maybe it's a Western culture type of thing. I, I don't know, but uh, they would start with uh, yourself, loving kindness towards yourself. And then, um, and they'd also pretty early on teach you this technique of uh, like, um, all beings radi saying love and kindness towards all beings. And those, uh, as I mentioned, those phrases are, are pretty simple. You know, may you be well, happy and peaceful. May all beings be well, happy and peaceful, or maybe may you be peaceful. Just, just that. And, um, and then, so you do that for a few days in the retreat and then um, you'd move on to the next most challenging figure which would be like a deer person someone maybe it's a uh a, a um a mentor but they they were supposed to be alive right uh living because once someone uh passes away supposedly the they're you know uh, there's no you know kind of more fixed object where you can like where that love and kindness can actually go. So you can't get into jhana, uh, loving kindness, jhana, metta jhana. Um, now, the the um, Viranyani and Ariya, they weren't so into getting into jhana, but the Sayada was more into, into jhana. Um, and so um, anyway, they recommended using living beings. Uh, and generally, I think they recommended using like uh, people, but um, I don't know. I, it seems like animals or plants are okay. I have a, I have a student who who's he's really into his plants, so he does loving kindness towards his plants. And mm. I think that's awesome, actually. <laughs> Me too. Doing loving kindness towards plants, uh, but you know, traditionally, you're so you're working through these and nothing against the traditional ways of practice too. I think it's, it's good to have these traditional ways of doing it. And I think there's also value in sort of, uh, add up. I mean, the, the whole history of Buddhism is, is, uh, full of examples where, you know, there's these adaptations and, uh, evolutions that are 
end up being really beautiful, helpful. So, uh, so anyway, then they'll like do, uh, you do a few days where then you'd, you'd, you could toggle between like yourself, all beings, and then a dear person, uh, maybe a coach, a mentor, a teacher, a, a, a parent, you know, someone who is just the easiest person for you to feel loving kindness towards. Um, and then uh, after that, it'd be like, after a couple of days of that, then you might move on to the next most challenging being, uh, which would be uh, like, it might, I think it might be like a dear person, but like not quite like a revered person. There's this revered person. And then there's maybe like a dear person. Maybe it's like a friend where you maybe have, there's still, there's a little bit more tension in the relationship, a little bit more friction because for whatever reason, right? Uh, when we have these real life relationships with people, sometimes there's, you know, things that crop up that maybe for a revered person doesn't, you know, maybe the revered person, like it might be the Dalai Lama or something like that, where you kind of have this idealized version of them or something. Um, so then there's, then there's the dear person, um, then there's neutral. So then you move on to neutral people. So it's very method, methodical. Uh, and then um, uh, after a couple of days, you're, you're now sort of you change it up. It's not, you do like, you might do yourself. You might do um, all beings. And then, you know, maybe you do the neutral person mostly for a few days, um, but you're sprinkling in some of these other beings that you've, or categories of beings that you've been practicing towards, you know, and then you go on to, and then after the neutral person, then it's the hardest uh, category of being who, which they call like the enemy, but, that's a strong word. And so sometimes I, I, I'll just call it a difficult person. Right. Uh, and, um, and you can start, there's a whole spectrum of difficult people in our lives. And so, you know, generally recommended that you start with like an easy, difficult person uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> on a scale of one to 10, they're like a one or a two. Right. Uh -huh. And then you can work up to your arch enemies or people who, and it's recommended that you work up to your arch enemies at some, some point. And maybe initially you can't imagine sending them love and kindness because they've hurt you so badly. But then you hear, you know, inspirational stories of people in Tibet who practice loving kindness <laughs> towards like Chinese captors and, you know, people who have like tortured them, you know, and other pe people in, in uh, Vietnam and in the war who've been tortured. Uh, and, and so it's like inspirational to hear how people can practice loving kindness towards those sorts of people who have just hurt them so badly. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, so you work up to those difficult people and it's okay to set those extremely difficult people aside to say, I'm not ready to forgive those people yet. I'm going to stick. I, I'm, I'm 
maybe someday, maybe in 20 years. And I heard one teacher say how she had a student who said, maybe in 20 years, I'll be able to practice towards them. And then by practicing this practice, you know, maybe after a few years, I don't know whether it was three years or five years, they were able to practice towards someone who would deeply, deeply hurt them like that. So hmm. um, anyway, uh, that's when, you, when you're sharing the technique with students or teaching it, uh, is there anything that you like to emphasize that, especially anything that you feel might not be emphasized by other teachers or is something you've discovered for yourself or that's been helpful to you personally. Yeah. And I'm going to look at my notes here a little bit, uh, just to remind myself. Uh, but yeah, I, I like, uh, I suggest starting with easy people. I mean, even that is just, if you're filling your mind with love and kindness and you're not thinking about anything else and you're training the mind to be loving and kind in a very tangible important profound way uh and then sometimes uh i find that like beginners will say i uh and by the way you had two questions that were i i found myself answering them both at the same time mm -hmm. you know uh what advice would you give someone starting out with mental practice and then is there anything unusual or non-obvious you'd like to emphasize when teaching metta and the brahma viharas mm -hmm. so so i might just kind of answer both of those at the same time mm -hmm. um but like sometimes beginners will say like i don't feel anything um and i can certainly uh relate to that too there's times when i'm trying to practice loving kindness uh and and i'm not feeling anything or you might feel the opposite coming up uh like i remember one time trying to practice loving kindness towards shinzen young one time and like then but all i could think about was like this one time when he pissed me off mm. <laughs> and he said something that kind of made me bad right mm. so but that was just a, an isolated incident you know i mean it was it didn't last for a long time but for that let's say that day or for a few days, it's like, that's what was coming up for me. And so, you know, the, uh, what I, what they suggest at that retreat in Burma, uh, is to, uh, uh, you know, keep at it, you know, um, and you can, you can actually switch to another person if, if for some reason, um, that's not cultivating a, a sense of love and kindness, then, um, you, you, you don't have to necessarily switch immediately, but like, if you just find that it's not, it's not working, uh, after some short period of time, I mean, it's okay to switch to someone who's easy and then you can toggle back and forth between easy and hard, but it's not, you're not doing anything wrong. That's one thing I would say is you're not doing anything wrong if, uh, you are, um, if you're not feeling it, if you're feeling neutral or you're feeling the opposite, it's natural. We have these relationships with people that are complex. Sometimes they've said things that have offended us or hurt us. They've done things. It's a natural part of the process. You're not doing it wrong. You just plug away. Um, and, uh, you know, over a lifetime, you know, you develop this capacity for greater loving kindness just like working out, you know, sometimes you don't feel like it or it's hard, uh, you feel weak uh, and and you, you just 
keep at it. And sometimes there's days you rest. It's like healthy to rest, you know, uh, from exercise and take an off day or whatever, or you have an injury, you got a nurse set, nurse yourself back to health. You, so, um, that's something I would say. Um, and, uh, uh, I like uh, customizing phrases. I think I mentioned that first. One thing I'm um, experimenting with is is I uh, is like using first person and second person when doing loving kindness towards myself. Like uh, if I say sometimes I might say, "May I be peaceful?" Right. That's a that's a traditional way of doing it. But then I've also been reading some. Uh, articles about how it can be helpful to speak to yourself in the second person. So uh, I, um, you might say, I, I might say like, uh, I accept you just the way you are. Friend Harrison or friend Kaishin. It's my Dharma name, right? So sometimes I uh, use Harrison. Sometimes I call myself Kaishin, but I speak to myself and, and I'm, I'm just experimenting with that, you know? And like, I, uh, sometimes speaking to myself on the first person seems, I don't know, carries more juice. Um, sometimes speaking to myself in the second person seems, um, like it's hitting the spot better. So, uh, I, uh, you know, I think experimentation is really uh, beneficial in this practice. Um, that it's we're we have to make it our own, and and so uh, being creative and trying different things and uh, experimenting um, with different phraseologies, uh, I think is uh, I, I like to suggest that to to students. Um, I, one thing that was blew my mind is that you could do this so much, right? You could, you could do this 24 seven for some period of time. Uh, and so, uh, before I'd kind of thought it was just, I don't know, something you did for a little while, but you could do it for a couple of weeks or, you know, as the Sayada said, a few months, mm -hmm. uh, and there's times if you do that, there's times when it's just going to be kind of be really boring and you know um and that's okay um sometimes meditation can be boring but we can switch to to you know we're, we're free to choose if we want to try something that's more fun and that can be a skillful way to practice too is like just uh you know when it starts to get old and stale you you can switch to something that inspires you and then makes you want to practice mm. There's something to be said for that too. You know, as Shinzen Young says, you know, there's time to bear down and there's a time to ease up. And sometimes, you know, you need might be helpful to bear down on one technique, even though it's hard. And another time might be helpful to ease up and do another technique that is more fun, inspires you. Um, I'd say like, uh, it's okay to do it towards animals and plants and even dead people. You know, uh, the Sayadaw traditionally in Burma, they would say like, if you, if you, if you do it to dead people there, there's no place for your meta to land. So you can't get into jhana. Uh, but uh, sometimes I, maybe you don't need to always have to be 
striving for jhana, right? So uh, I like to send loving kindness towards my parents or who've passed away or uh, people who are dead. And, and, you know, there's that book about Peace Pilgrim and how she, uh, you know, when she had that near-death experience and people that, uh, spirits that came to her from the other side. And uh, so... I don't know. I think maybe they're, I, I'm not going to say that uh, you uh, can't, that you can get into uh, jhana by doing it towards uh, dead sp or spirits, dead people, uh, because I, I haven't tried, I guess, that hard, but, and, and I don't know that they would say that you can't, you're forbidden from doing it. It's just, they suggest that it's hard that you can't get into uh, metta jhana because there's no place for that metta to land. Hmm. Um, no living being for that metta to land. So I don't know. I, I like to spread the love around and hmm. I believe there's spirits all over around us that could benefit from some loving kindness. So hmm. um, I like to, uh, sometimes I suggest smiling a little bit. That helps me sometimes get into a, a, a feeling of loving kindness or putting a hand on the heart. Hmm. Um, and uh, I read, I, I heard recently that putting a hand on a heart can release some oxytocin. So hmm. who knows, maybe that you could uh, experiment with that. But sometimes I like putting a hand on my heart and practicing loving kindness. And I feel like it, it like deepens it a little bit. Hmm. Uh, and I like also uh, mouthing the words or speaking them out loud, uh, those loving kindness phrases. Um, so uh, uh, sometimes that helps me concentrate and focus. Um, I, I feel like concentration really isn't my strongest suit. So uh, anything I can use to help me focus uh, keep the mind from wandering. I'll hmm. use those little tricks of the trade. Um, and I'll just say also, maybe this is the last thing, but I, I feel like loving kindness, sometimes it's just like, just what the doctor ordered. It's like, I'm going through a tough time and one technique isn't working. And then I'll practice a little loving kindness towards myself or other beings. And it can really just have a dramatic effect on how I'm feeling. And um, so mm -hmm. I think it's a really helpful technique to have in the, in the tool belt. Mm. Thank you. Uh, I think we have time for one more question since I have another commitment today. I wonder yeah. um, if I could ask you one of the things I've really fallen in love with about this practice is uh, how in the, the, you know, I think it was really sorry that got me on this uh, originally was just seeing spiritual practice in terms of perception and behavior and uh -huh. uh, you know, feedback loops between them. And it seems to me that you can sort of describe this practice in terms of oh, when, when you're, when you're practicing it, when you're cultivating it, you are cultivating the perception of loving kindness, the feelings of loving kindness and yeah. that state of mind and that way of seeing, yeah. and then that that manifests it, it, you know, it's working if it sort of manifests in action and behaviors that are yeah. expressing that kindness and yeah. uh, the, the feelings of love, the, the state of mind of love becomes 
actions of kindness, real behavior that's, you know, uh, demonstrable and manifest. And um, I wonder if there are any, you know, sort of ordinary acts of kindness that you've become fond of over the years of little nice things that you like to do for people and uh, any ways that kindness shows up in your life. Uh, yeah, I, um, uh, I like to, uh, pick up trash on the beach. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that's one way that I manifest loving kindness is, uh, you know, it's sort of like, uh, uh, generous kind act that I do for the environment, for the planet, for animals plants, people, my own satisfaction. Uh, and sometimes there's not much trash on the beach. Sometimes there's larger quantities and I'm making several trips over to the uh, trash receptacles, but I, I like to do that. Uh, mm. I like, um, and I like being sort of, uh, I, I like being really friendly with people and like, um, uh, you know, so getting to know, uh, so yeah, friendly with strangers and also friendly with like people I know and getting kind of goofy with them and um, humor, like to use humor a lot as a way of expressing love and kindness um so getting goofy and silly with people is is a fun way uh, uh um and and yeah just being really friendly with people mm -hmm. i like i like doing that and sometimes people you get uh, it, it's fun because there's a positive feedback loop like people will get into being friendly and goofy and loving with you too. And so that can be uh, really fun. Uh, mm. I like doing that. I like, and uh, with the kids, you know, last year I kind of had this unique opportunity. I was uh, a playground advisor. Um, so uh, um, in the school mindfulness program, we do kind, kind mind program. We'll probably, need to change the name because there's a trademark issue that we're uh, bumping up against. But um, uh, for last year, I was not only teaching mindfulness in the classrooms and in the schools, but then um, as a way to kind of deepen uh, the uh, meditation, or sorry, the, the well, in, in the schools, we call it mindfulness compassion meditation sometimes has a religious connotation for people so we don't use that uh word in um the classrooms because we're, we're it's the, the school program's a secular program uh and so um we had we created a new position called the playground advisor where not where i'd go out and i'd be on the playground with the kids for about three and a half hours a day trying to integrate mindfulness and compassion practices into um everything that they were doing into life so it was like playing with them and um eating you know 
lunch with them and uh and and over time um and, and so that was really fun like just uh just playing with them uh and getting down on their level like i really like to get silly with the little with the little kids i i think sometimes um it's a little disarming for them to see someone of my age get as uh, silly <laughs> as i can get <laughs> and uh, so like i'll play with them i'll play tag with them and uh um they there was this thing last year where they were doing um they would they would say na 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 boo boo na 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 boo boo and they would like tease me like that then i'd i'd chase them and then uh and uh and they just loved being chased by me mm. and playing that game with me and uh and so it was just this great way to just experience like pure joy and love and happiness with them uh by getting down on their level of of play and fun and silliness um and uh so that's one way that I like to manifest with the with the kids. And then the older kids wouldn't do that, but like I'd play basketball with them or play tag with them. And even some, even there were some of the older kids who like really weren't into mindfulness. When we go in the classroom, they'd be just like not into it at all. But then and over the course of the year, and I tried to learn every kid's name of 225 names probably. And, you know, over the course of the year, I was finally able to. So I made a point of learning people's names. And that's one way that I manifest uh, mm. loving kindness, too, is just getting to know people's names and and getting to know what they're interested in. So these kids ask them, what what are you interested? What are you, what are you like? And then um, sometimes they're into basketball. So play basketball, talk basketball with them. Sometimes there were some students who just were not into mindfulness uh, in the classroom uh and not really into me but, but uh you know like um if i was but they might play tag with me <laughs> they might play basketball with me and so like that was a way to connect with them and hmm. experience love and kindness towards each other in this in this way hmm. uh, love all of that thank you for telling me the different ways you manifest kindness and of course i know of more knowing you well but it's nice to hear you sharing those and um yeah i just want to close the conversation by thanking you for having it with me and uh really for being my dharma brother and for inspiring me to do this practice and um you know for all of the the, the kind service that you do in the world helping children to learn these practices and it's been very inspiring to me and I wish we had time to talk about that more as well, but, you know, uh, constraints are a thing, but, um, I just really thank you for that. And also for speaking with me and sharing your heart and your life and your wisdom with us. So thank you for, uh, for all of that, Harrison. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, it was, uh, it was really fun to, uh, riff with you on these important noble topics of mindfulness meditation compassion 
loving kindness. I mean, mm -hmm. what could be more important, you know? And uh, I hope we get a chance to um, maybe have another conversation. We didn't get to a really juicy topic. Uh, mm -hmm. The question you had, what have you learned about teaching mm -hmm. mindfulness in schools? And that's like a big question. And I, mm -hmm. I have, I, I wrote down all these things that I've learned from that, that I would love to share. Mm -hmm. um, but I understand we don't have time um, now, and I don't think we could do it justice uh, by getting into that. But uh, teaching mindfulness to youth and teaching mindfulness in the schools uh, is like a very rich topic. So I hope we have a chance to uh, to cover that. But in the meantime, it was really um, a pleasure to be on your podcast. You're doing great work uh, with all these interviews. I've I've enjoyed. Uh, listening to your interviews of other people and and seeing all the other uh, ways that you creatively manifest uh, loving kindness in the world. Mm. Um, so thanks for having this conversation with me and for your podcast and um, sharing these uh, teachings with uh, with the world. It's really beautiful to mm. see you in action. <laughs> well, we're doing it together. So. Yes, we are. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Thank you, friend. Okay, my friend. <laughs>